just picture in your minds the Alex smile. It's beautiful. Welcome to Breathing Flames, the tabletop gaming podcast from IslayTheDragon.com. I am Wolfie, also known as Future Wolfie on I Slay the Dragon. Today, we're talking about John's top seven favorite board games of all time. And he's going to tell us what they are and why he likes them so much. And I'm here to heckle him. I believe Alex is here as well to do some heckling. I got my heckling pants on. Perfect. And uh, then we have John himself to tell us what he likes and why. So take it away, John. I am ready to earnestly rave about all of my favorite games, or at least the top seven of them. (laughs) This is strange, though, because I, I don't usually have the spotlight on me wherever I go. So bear with me as I as I have to tell you about my favorites. So my list of favorite games, I'll tell you right off the bat, the things that I value most in board games are tense trade-offs. And so if I choose one thing, I want to have another option close to me. Otherwise, it's not the tension isn't there and it's not an exciting experience. It's not that I don't care about theme. I do care about theme somewhat. Theme is more something that can turn me off to a game than that will turn me on to a game. In fact, The theme question is a great lead-in to my number seven game of all time. Are you guys ready for this? No. I'm so excited. (laughs) I knew you guys were really excited. (laughs) So my number seven uh, favorite game of all time is Ginkopolis. This was released in 2012 by Pearl Games. It was designed by Xavier Georges, who I think is most famous for being one of the designers behind Trois. Or as we Americans say it, Troyes. And in oh, Ginkopolis. <laughs> I would never have guessed that. <laughs> I know my sister speaks French. And I'm like, really? But there's so many letters that you're not pronouncing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so back to Ginkopolis. So the premise behind Ginkopolis is that in the future, we are building sustainable cities made entirely of ginkgo biloba trees. And... At first, that theme doesn't seem to make any sense. But as you get going in the game, the game is kind of a Frankenstein's monster of all these different mechanics. So there's card drafting, there's tile laying, there's tableau building. And at the heart of the game is this area control puzzle that you're trying to manipulate to your advantage. And so in this game, I I just really enjoy how these disparate mechanisms flow so seamlessly together it's a game that i hate to teach because at the start of the game it's hard to get people to understand how they work together even though once you know how to play the game it just it's so smooth as for the theming of the game again at the start of the game you're thinking this seems like one of those ridiculous themes that they're just slapping on to be different but the more that you think about it the game is really about managing three economies so there's tiles points and resources. Those are the three main resources in the game. And yes, one of the resources is just called resources. I know, boring. But you're trying to manage all these things to be sustainable because 
you're building up your tableau so that every time you do something, you get some kind of kickback, some kind of bonus. And so you're trying to make it so that you're able to build every turn and expand the city. I just find the game fascinating. I find it fun. I find it especially delicious for people who love combos. I think Ginkopolis is a great choice. Now it's your turn to heckle me. Out of all the Ginkgo Biloba themed games, this is probably my favorite as well. <laughs> Can you name another Ginkgo Biloba themed game? I don't want to derail the whole podcast by just going on and on about Ginkgo Biloba games. So we'll just stay on <laughs> Ginkopolis for now. You're very merciful. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> you're very welcome. <laughs> I have a trouble myself with all area majority games. I just can't visualize it. Um, so what I like about this game is that that's only one part of the game. There's so much else going on around it. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I played Ginkopolis, but I seem to recall enjoying it. I think for the same reason that Alex just mentioned is that there are multiple things going on. So you're trying to balance like which elements you focus on and still trying to get points in different areas. There's some interesting puzzle things. Plus it's fun to build things up. Yeah, it's very pleasing, this one, when you see it on the table, just the way that it does. You build a 3D city, kind of, as it goes along. And it's also satisfying that when you cover someone else's building up, which they hate, they get points. So it's, you know, it's it's a little, even though it's cutthroat, it's a little friendlier. You feel like you're helping your... <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep at night, John. That's right. I am I am kind of a ruthless Ginkopolis player, but... That doesn't mean I win. It just means that I don't make friends. That's a, a rare breed. <laughs> a cutthroat Ginkopolis player. How many times do you think that's been said in the history of mankind? <laughs> Isn't language a curious thing? There's actually an entire forum section on Board Game Geek dedicated to people lamenting how cutthroat John has been toward them. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people like, oh, he was so mean to me. Why? A Ginkopolis support group. (laughs) Well, that's my number seven. I love the game. I'm always willing to play. Not always willing to teach it, but especially for a game that lasts between 45 minutes and an hour, it's spectacular. Yep, it's a good one. I'll give you no heckles so far. (laughs) Woohoo! Well, my number six game might be cause for heckling. This is a game that has won the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, so it's popular. <laughs> I know you don't like popular things. It's from one of my favorite favorite publishers, Lookout Games. It's Isle of Sky from Chieftain to King. It was released in 2015. The rank is around 150 on Board Game Geek, and this is a game that I absolutely love. And I think there are several there are several factors in play here. One, I realize that I really enjoy tile laying games, as you probably understood from Ginkopolis as well, but. The tile laying here is interesting because it's tied to a puzzle and the puzzle is different every game. So in Isle of Sky, at the start of the game, you pick out four different scoring conditions from among 16 and you're trying to lay your tiles in such a way that you can maximize the scoring conditions. The catch here is that at the start of every round, everyone draws a certain number of tiles from the bag. They all draw three tiles from the bag and then you set the price for those tiles. That means... If someone else wants to buy your tile, they have to pay you that price. And if nobody wants to buy your tile, you have to pay the price that you set. And so it's part auction game, kind of. And I love, 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 love auctions. 
And it's also partially this puzzle game of trying to make sure that you maximize the scoring conditions. Every game is different. Every game is satisfying. And this is one game that consistently I can teach and play over a lunch hour from two to five players and it never goes over. I love that about this game and it's always satisfying. So that's my number six, Isle of Sky. It's interesting that you latch on to the tiling aspect of the game because for me, what I latch on to is the auction part of the game. And the tile lane just seems like a necessary part to facilitate that auctions. And and really, it's those auctions that really grab me from this one. And I would agree with that. I think the auctions are really the, the heart of the game. But I think the auctions are completely driven by the tiles that you need because you have to complete certain areas to get points, maybe, or you have to connect certain areas by roads. And so... The way that you put together your little land, it it's different every time because you're you're going according to certain goals. And so you'll look around the table and realize there are tiles that you absolutely have to have. So I agree that the auction is probably the most prominent feature, and it's one that I love, especially there aren't a lot of price-setting games, and there aren't a lot of price-setting games that I really love. You're right that the auction is probably more prominent, but I think the tile laying really... They, they kind of drive each other. Have you ever played Castles of Mad King Ludwig? Yes. In fact, I picked up Isle of Sky because I had played Castles of Mad King Ludwig and I was disappointed that I wasn't getting to play it more because it lasts over an hour. Mm. And I saw, oh, Isle of Sky is kind of, it sounds a little like Castles of Mad King Ludwig, but shorter. Maybe this will be a nice consolation prize. And after playing it, I realized I liked it a whole lot more than Castles. Is it because it is shorter? You basically get the same feeling in that shorter time frame, or is there something else? I think the price setting is more interesting to me. I th- and I think the I like how simple Isle of Sky is. Like as I as I recall from Ma- Castles of Ma- Mad King Ludwig, every room when you close it off has a different privilege that it gives you, a different bonus. And teaching those bonuses to other people wasn't my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Whereas here, I mean, the, the scoring conditions are so simple. And at Castles of Mad King Ludwig, the price setting didn't seem like the the central feature. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think it's more interesting in Isle of Sky. Very cool. And I know I made you play this one time, Wolfie. Do you even remember it? I vaguely remember it. I liked the puzzly aspect of the tiling. I'm not a huge fan of most auction-related things. I think that this one was one of the more enjoyable of the auction games you've made me play mm-hmm. because it was it was easier to set a price based on like what would I be willing to pay for this tile like because you can you can kind of figure out how many points it's going to be worth to you at least in the near term and how it's going to help you and so then you go okay what would I be willing to pay for this and then decide if you really want to pay for it but. I think I think that my regular gaming group is just not good for these types of games because I have some players who are just like horrible at that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they'll be like, oh, this one, I'll sell it for 30. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and that can kind of, re- that can skew a game. Someone can take advantage of that or it just like, it messes with, the kind of balance that's required 
between the players, mm-hmm. which makes it less kind of fun because you're either just like gaming a player instead of gaming the game or it's less in your control because someone else is able to game the player, but it's fine. I enjoyed it. I remember enjoying it. Isle of Sky is a little friendlier than a lot of other auction games. And I think it comes down to two things. One, you always throw away one of the tiles that you draw from the bag. So if there's a tile and you know that you can't price it well, because you have to price based on the money that you have in hand, you can just throw away a tile that is the cornerstone of someone else's strategy that you know they're going to take from you. The other thing is if you fall behind in points as the game progresses, you get more money so that you have more buying power or you have the power to protect those tiles that you don't want other people to buy. And so I think both of those features make it, they make it fall right in line with the Kenner Spiel of Ceres. I know a lot of people on Board Game Geek will argue about whether the quote unquote catch up mechanism is too much. In my plays, it hasn't usually decided the game, but it has it's given some consolation to those players who consistently have their tile spot. Catch-up mechanics in general always seem a little un-American to me. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have an issue with it then? I don't, mostly because there are times when it can matter, but it's the kind of thing that you can see coming. So if you really... If you really, really want the extra money, want the extra cash flow, then you just try not to score that many points in the first couple rounds, which is completely possible to do. You can focus on the later scoring objectives. You know the four scoring objectives at the beginning, and you know in what order they're going to be scored over the course of the five or six rounds or however many rounds the game lasts. So to me, it's it's not a big deal because everything's out on the table at the beginning. And again, I haven't really seen this sway the game one way or the other. That's a good point. You do have control over that. Similar to a game like Power Grid, where it's kind of an art not to be in first. So that was my number six game, Isle of Sky from Chieftain to King. My number five game is one that I almost passed over at the beginning. I said theme doesn't matter to me. And then here's my number five, which I almost didn't buy because it had such an ugly cover <laughs> of a frowning <laughs> of a frowning medieval dude. And that is El Grande, designed by Wolfgang Kramer and Richard, Richard Ulrich and published by Rio Grande Games. It also won the Spiel des Jahres in, I think it was 1996. And... Uh, in El Grande, it's an area control game. So your goal is to control provinces. You score points for having the most caballeros from here on just called cubes uh, <laughs> in a province. And if you ever tie somebody, then you and everybody you tie scores the next highest amount. So you want to be the best, but you also don't want to pay too dearly for it. But it's very easy to take majorities from someone else. The features of El Grande, though, that I find most interesting are one, it has interesting decisions. It has these trade-offs that I really value. So every round you have to bid for a turn order to choose the action that you're going to take for that round. And the card you bid with determines how many cubes enter your active supply. And then the card that you eventually win, the action, the more powerful the action, the fewer cubes you get to put from your supply onto the board. And so I think that's an interesting tension. And then in addition to that, there are just these really cool gimmicks in the game. So there's this big, uh, in my in my edition, the older edition, it's a particle board, big black particle board tower called the Castillo. And when you can put cubes on the board, you can instead put them in this tower. And that's a, another region to be scored. And then 
those cubes will eventually make it onto the board. And there are also these dials where you can secretly choose provinces during the game. And I just think that is so much fun. El Grande is a game that I've played about 12 times and every time I've loved it, I've introduced it to new players and old players and it usually goes over pretty well. For me, I just love it. It used to be my number one game of all time. It's since fallen uh, behind, obviously, the games that will come later. But El Grande is my number five. Not enough games use dials anymore. That's uh, an underused object. Clearly, you don't play many fantasy flight games. I do not. (laughs) There's so many dials. So many dials. So many dials. I have a question, John. Yes. Can I put cubes in the the province with the king? No. (laughs) The king's region is taboo. But what if what if I have a card? (laughs) (laughs) You you bring to mind one of my favorite things about El Grande is the simplicity of the rules. It explains nothing in the king's region can ever change because the king's region is taboo. In every game. There's someone who's like, yeah, but what What about this? Can I do this? No, <laughs> there is no exception. Nothing can change where the king My is. My favorite part of El Grande is listening to John get frustrated yelling at people that they can't <laughs> put stuff where the king is. I actually, I actually like, I actually really enjoy El Grande. It's probably one of my favorite more Euro style games. I, I can enjoy most Euro games. I enjoy playing them with, with them, but I wouldn't really call many of them my favorites, but I actually, I actually really do like El Grande. I just wish there were miniatures instead of cubes. <gasps> that the uh, new Z-Man edition has mini meeples instead of cubes. That's not, that's not miniatures, John. You know, I was thinking the other day that meeples are basically just very stripped down miniatures. Yeah, yeah. You guys are trying to get a rise out of me. I can tell. <laughs> I'm just trying to put you the defensive on my episode. I just need to step away for a second. <laughs> Alex, have you played El Grande? I have. Yeah. I played with the big box version. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my copy. So I'm not sure what modules or expansions we were using. Do you have any experience with any of those? I actually have only p- played the straight game. I have the decennial version, which is... Uh, similar to the big box it has all the expansions kind of mixed in and for me i have never felt the expansions were necessary if i ever feel like i've completely explored the base game then i might add those in i've heard they're decent or at least some of them are decent but no i I don't have any experience playing with them yeah it seemed i mean i don't know like i said what was thrown in there but it seemed like a pretty straightforward game and i couldn't even imagine adding too much in there it seemed it would take away from the simplicity that was already there Mm -hmm. but like i mentioned earlier area control just does not function in my head space i just can't see where the weak points are where the strengths are where to attack where to withdraw where to move in it just doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. i like to try but um I just don't like losing, so. <laughs> well, then, if you if you don't like area control, El Grande is definitely not for you. It's, that's about all there is. So that's my number five, El Grande. Number four is a new game to me. It's another game that I was initially put off by the cover. I think the cover, the original cover for it was very ugly, and the new cover isn't really that much better. This game was introduced to me from a breathless shut up and sh- sit down review. And after I watched the review, I thought, 
that looks like a game that I would love. And it turns out that's true. That game is Concordia, designed by Mac Gertz and published by Rio Grande Games here in the United States. It was nominated for the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, but did not win. I think it lost to Istanbul. In Concordia, everyone begins the game with a hand of, I think it's seven cards. Every card has a single action on it. And when you take your turn, your turn is simple. You just play a card, do what it says, and it's the next person's turn. And as you play cards, they go into your personal discard pile. And you can't choose them again until you play one of your cards, which is the Tribune. And it takes all your cards back, and then you can play them again. Concordia is probably the poster child for Eurogame elegance. The rules are very simple. The actions are very streamlined, but the game is very tense because you are pulled constantly to be efficient. The more efficient you can be, the better it will go for you, but you're also pulled in the opposite direction by opportunity. So on your turn, you can basically do an action as many times as you can. So for example, the architect lets you build cities on the board. You can build as many cities as you want, as long as you're adjacent to places where you can build them in one turn so that you think, oh, I should build seven cities in one turn. That's awesome. But (laughs) you might not have all the resources because you're pulled another time by saying, oh, but if I get another colonist first, I might be able to build more cities and so on. So you're pulled in one direction by the opportunities available to you and in the other direction by wanting to be as efficient as you possibly can. The other interesting aspect of this game is that on all of the action cards, which you can get more of over the course of the game, is a scoring condition. And so at the end of the game, your scoring conditions are all on the cards that you've purchased. And the cards, the card action generally makes you better at scoring that condition at the end of the game. That's probably the, the main wrinkle for new players is that they mess up on is, oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to be scoring this. I thought I was just playing the game. That's my number four. It's Concordia. It's a game I'm always willing to play at my weekly game night. If someone new is coming and I don't know what their experience is with board games, this is the game that I introduce to them. <laughs> John really <laughs> not a Concordia fan. With his games. I like it. Okay, it's it's fine. It's not the uh, Matt Gertz game that I would have chosen, but it's um, it's okay. What Matt Gertz game would you have chosen? I enjoy Imperial much more than Concordia. I think Imperial's probably one of my favorite games just in general. So I would have liked to see that in its place. <laughs> Which, if if we were doing an extended list, Imperial is my number 12. Okay, so let's rewind, go back to number 12, and go from there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think it's a fine game. It, it's it's extremely dry, I think. You know, you're you're trading goods around Mediterranean. I can enjoy that to a degree, and I can appreciate the systems and the design that goes behind it. But there's really no hook that's drawn me to it. And I have a hard time internalizing the scoring that's going to be happening at the end. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the fault of my own of just not paying attention to the ends, but I just tend to focus on which card is going to help me in the moment and and not really focus on what's going to happen at the end. So maybe it's my short-sightedness coming to haunt me in Concordia. The interesting thing about this is that Matt Gertz is kind of known for his Rondell games. I mean, Concordia, I think, is his is his best-known game now, but he's known for kind of introducing this new game system, the Rondell, where you are limited 
there, there's a central wheel and you're limited in your actions by the next few spaces on the wheel and you have to pay a big price if you want to go beyond that. And I actually like the rondelle more than the card play mechanism in Concordia, but there's just something so smooth and so elegant and so beautiful to me in Concordia simplicity. Yeah, I think it's a game that I can appreciate and respect more than I can actually enjoy. And I'll, I'll never turn down a game. If someone wants to play it, I'll go ahead and play it because I'm not, uh, it's not a bad experience. It's just one that I can't fully invest in. Concordia is also <laughs> another game that I've made you play Wolfie. Yeah, I, I think I would have to play it more to have a solid judgment on it. I, I do like that kind of balance of like, efficiency versus opportunity. Um, Most of my favorite games tend to involve a balance of that where you can try and grab something right away or there's like an immediate goal that it's always nice to get. But then if you really want to accomplish the long-term thing, you've got to think broader. It has been a while. I, I feel like I was kind of, when I played, I just played the game and didn't really think about the points until the end and didn't score that many points or maybe I did, but it was just like lucky that I scored points, but I think I enjoyed it. It's not, it's not my favorite theme and it's, you know, maybe if it was in space, it'd be my my thing, but (laughs) what if I told you the expansion adds salt? Whoa. Would that entice you in any way? Um, it's not really doing anything for me. <laughs> How strange. It, that is strange. It does <laughs> also have the one of the ugliest box covers. Of, <laughs> it's a shame because it's such a good game. Even the new cover isn't like as ugly as the old one, but it's still very unappealing. Yeah. It doesn't speak anything to what the game is actually like. So that was my number four, Concordia. Now, my number three, I know is going to be controversial among some dragon slayers, not naming names. It's me. I'm the one. <laughs> yes, you are. I. This is a game my sister bought me for my birthday a while ago. I really like auctions. I like Egypt, Egyptian window dressings. And Reiner Capia, <laughs> I was just starting to discover him. And this game blew my mind and the truth is it continues to blow my mind every time i play it and that game is raw uh raw was originally released in 1999 uh published now by uh z-man games in their euro classics edition and there are uh mixed opinions whether the wooden pieces in the old rio grand edition or the cardboard pieces in in the z-man edition are better Uh, But I do have the Z-Man edition. That's the one I kept. In Ra, the game is very simple. On your turn, you either draw a tile from the bag or you call an auction. When you draw a tile from the bag, you either add it to the auction track. If it's anything but a Ra tile or you, if you draw a Ra tile, it causes an automatic auction. The thing that is so simple about Ra is that unlike other auction games where you're bidding points. So, for example, in Minichi, another Kanizia game, the things, the currency that you have to bid with is the points that you eventually win. And raw, the bidding currency is completely divorced from your points. It's just a separate thing. 
you're essentially spending an opportunity that you can't spend later. And you're swapping it for whatever opportunity is in the middle of the board, which at the beginning of the game is the worst one. And so during the game, you're trying to get sets of tiles and all of the sets of tiles score differently. The tiles that you draw from the bag fill up an auction track. And the more tiles are on the track, potentially the more valuable it's going to be. But there are also disaster tiles that can reduce the value of the track for whoever gets them. Anyway, Ra is the kind of game it's been out for nearly 20 years and it doesn't have an expansion. And it's the kind of game that doesn't need an expansion because this is a game where you are playing the players more than the game. And I just love it. And now we'll hear the (laughs) dissenting opinion. I think it doesn't have an expansion because I know I'm in the minority here, but (laughs) it's just not, I don't like it. I don't like it. And it's probably my fault. It's your fault. I think that I think that Reiner Knizzi and I are just on different wavelengths. And I get very frustrated with his games. One of the things I don't like about his games in general, and this is true of Ra, is that it's very easy to lose points and to do horribly and to end a game and be like, I have like two points and everybody else has like 40 points. That just doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, at least for me, it's like hard to figure out what I did wrong when that happens. And I mean, it's been a long time since I played Ra, but Ra is one of those games that we played kind of early on in our Isolate the Dragon career, back when we only owned like four games. So when you got it, we played it a lot. And I tried it and I tried and I didn't like it the first time and I tried it again and I tried it again. And I, I felt like I just couldn't make the right decision, but I wasn't learning. Like my mistakes weren't teaching me how to play better. I was just kind of at a loss of like, am I, am I bidding too early? Am I bidding too late? Am I bidding the wrong tile at the wrong time? I just, I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't fun for me to play. It's not fun for me, in my opinion, to play a game where you can just lose like you finally get points and then up oh, the next round, I just screwed up and lost them all too bad. And I should mention Ra is one of Kenizia's more punishing games. It's so punishing. It's not uncommon to see a large range of scores. You can lose points negatively very quickly. Someone on Twitter, I'm not going to name names because I don't know if they would want to be named or not, but they were talking about why they don't, they don't play Ra anymore. They said they have a, a friend who, when they play Ra, the friend just sits back, doesn't bid on anything, waits till everyone else has bid out for the round, and then just has free reign over the tiles. And for all probability purposes, should just lose, should, you know, get get the disaster tiles or whatever. But somehow they just always win because they have free reign and they draw the tiles and they get a bunch of points. And that's weird. And then I was curious, like, what are the actual odds? And I might try and calculate that someday. I'm working on a thing with my wife to talk about probability in board games. That's a small pitch right there. It's it's a project in process, but... In case Netflix want to pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I just, I can't figure it out. It doesn't agree with me. I don't have fun losing i don't know how to win i don't know 
what choices to make to play that game any better. And if, if John really wanted to play it and I was there, I would probably grudgingly agree to play the game. But if there was a vote involved, I'd be like, no, I don't want to play it. Thankfully, I have enough enough other raw friends that I don't have to uh, <laughs> subject you to it. Have you played Alex? I have. I don't have quite the uh, reaction that Wolfie has. It doesn't hurt me in the ways that it has obviously hurt Wolfie. <laughs> and I've seen some pretty spectacular disasters. So I mean, it was the first game I think that I like actively disliked, and so it has festered within me and really grown over the years so that's why i actively hate it so much <laughs> i i think that those cataclysmic events in in all board games when things can just kind of wipe you out sure it can feel bad to the person that it happens to but i think you know, if you step back it's just kind of funny mm-hmm. and funny things in general are hard to come by and if a board game can make something funny i think that has some merit but overall, Raw, and I feel like this with a lot of Kinetia games, uh, it feels like should be part of a bigger game to me. And I think that's just my uh, preference for a more involved, more complicated, lots of systems types of games. And Raw kind of strips everything away and just makes it about this very focused auction and this push-your-luck system that's going on there. And that's just not enough for me to devote you know, a whole playing time to that which is fair it's not for everybody it's definitely kind of a niche game but it generally goes over well with the people i play it with and i think that's one of the things that makes it so exciting is it's basically like a slot machine every time it's your turn and if you don't like push your luck then it's probably not for you but for me i just love 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 raw so that's my number three raw my number two game is actually a game that I think Wolfie will agree with me on. I'm guessing Alex won't. <laughs> but my number two game is a game that Wolfie actually introduced me to over lunch at work. It's Dominion. Dominion is the king or the grandfather of deck building games. It was one of the first ones that was released. The first one that definitely popularized it. I've heard others claim that the StarCraft board game came before whatever. Dominion is the one that I think everyone recognizes as the first real deck building game. The interesting decision point in Dominion is that the only cards that matter at the end of the game do nothing for you during the game. And that decision, when I when I first encountered it, I thought, that is brilliant. It's the kind of game that gives you instant feedback as you're going along. So as you think, oh, buying copper is a good idea, or oh, I should fill my deck with points. Then after the next shuffle, when you draw a handful of green cards, you realize, oh, that wasn't such a good plan, was it? So it's the kind of game, you know, Wolfie, you were complaining about Ra, that you... You see it and you don't understand how you could have done any better. I think Dominion is the kind of game that teaches you as you go. Granted, if you're playing against a good player, you've probably already lost by that point. But maybe in the next game, you'll come back with a better strategy. I like the variety of it. I I think this is the kind of game that begs for and rewards you for buying expansions. And usually I'm not a fan of that kind of system. But Dominion really, each expansion has open the game completely in new directions. And I love that about it. So that's my number two dominion. It's a good choice. I agree. Dominion is a great game. Surprisingly, I think dominion is 
actually pretty decent. <gasps> uh, <laughs> I just died. <laughs> <laughs> he likes it. He really likes it. It was one of my earlier games that I that I played, and the concept of building your decks as you play was just so novel at the time. And I had dabbled with playing Magic in the past and other uh, card games like that. So the concept of building a deck in its in of, of itself is, wasn't foreign to me, but doing that as the course of the game was pretty novel and, and you know something that we're seeing the ramifications of still today. I think I'm kind of limited since I've only played the base game. I haven't delved into any of the expansions. So maybe I'm limited by the kind of the standard card set that's available, but I've found myself liking other deck builders more than Dominion. I think the base game gives you a good flavor for the game, but it really comes into its own once you add expansions. I don't think I would like it so much. If if someone made me choose between base Dominion or even Ra, I would choose Ra over Dominion because it's a more dynamic game from game to game than just the 25 decks in the, in the base set of Dominion. Right, and it feels that way. It feels like it was designed as this introduction to this whole entire genre of game. And that's fair. You can't just you know, blow everyone out of the water with this whole new concept with these wild cards. So I think it's actually kind of smart that the way that they rolled everything out, um, it's just that I haven't had experience with those more involved and interesting cards. Mm -hmm. Wolfie, what is your favorite, favorite Dominion expansion? It's probably Empires, but I haven't gotten to play that one as much. So of, of the ones that I've played a lot, I... There are cards that I like in all the different expansions. Prosperity is is a good go-to mm-hmm. just because it's fun, just because it makes you rich. And there's a lot of fun, very powerful cards that you can that are very expensive, but ways to get lots more money. So you just feel like you're rolling in it. And that's always that's a fun feeling to roll in it. Even if you lose, you're like, well, I lost, but look at all these platinum cards I have. It's fun, but I like the I like the pirates and stuff and seaside, mm-hmm. and there's just like there's probably like five or six cards in each expansion that I just love playing with. Mm-hmm. My favorite overall is probably Empires, and I think the reason is because it introduces new victory conditions, and I think that's the thing that breathes the most life life into the game, because if you have a different goal to aim at it really changes the way that you play the rest of the game. So Empires is probably my favorite, followed by Prosperity. So look at that. We agree like completely across the board on Dominion. That's crazy. I know. The, who are we? <laughs> the, the uh, I will say I've played other deck building games, and for me, none has matched Dominion either in interest or, I mean, uh, usually it's, a more complex system star realms being the exception there but i think again i think star realms is more open to luck than dominion is so that's my number two dominion and my number one game of all time just recently edged out dominion but i think it earned its space so when i described dominion i said dominion is best because of all of its expansions my number one game doesn't need any expansions. In fact, it's not likely to be expanded. It's not likely to be reprinted, unfortunately. 
My number one game of all time is Glory to Rome. This was designed by Carl Chudick and Ed Carter and published by the now defunct Cambridge Games Factory. You can find all about the woes of their Kickstarter. I'm sure the page is still up, but I actually have the black box edition. That's how I was introduced to the game, the Kickstarter edition. And Glory to Rome is a role selection game, kind of like Puerto Rico or or Race for the Galaxy, something like that. But the whole game is about card flow. Every action moves a card from one place to another. That's how I usually explain it because it's impossible. This is another game that I hate to explain because it's just so it has all of these intricate moving parts. And when you're putting it together for the first time, it doesn't seem that they would make any sense. They eventually do. And it's a very smooth game. But but at least when you're learning, it's, it's a little difficult. The interesting thing about the role selection in Glory to Rome is you have to play a card from your hand to call that role. Everyone around the table can either follow you, play a matching card from their hand, or they can think refill their hand. So every time someone takes a turn, you get to do something awesome. You either get to participate in the main action and you get to take it more or less at the same strength as the person who calls it. You just get to take it after them or you get to refill your hand, giving you more options when it's your turn. The thing that I think most people will be excited about in Glory to Rome is there are several different buildings in the game. I think the the deck of cards is probably around 150 or so. And it's not like Innovation, another Carl Chittick game where every building is unique, but there are still lots of different building powers in the game. And these powers give you radical game-breaking abilities. And you think there's no possible way that this game can be balanced. And yet it somehow is. And I think that you begin to see this balance. I've played the game, I think, 52 times now. And in the early games, you'll look at a strategy and you'll think that's overpowered. There's no way to combat that. And then once someone is trying to do that every game, you realize, no, there really is a way to combat it. And it's this way. And so you're you're constantly shifting, shifting the power. I think Carl Chudik's games are often, and, and Glory to Rome falls into this category, it's the kind of game where you have to realize what game you're playing and then try to either be winning that game that you're playing or switching to a different game that you can win. The most simple version of that is Red 7, but I think Glory to Rome is... I just think that it's so much fun. The combos are interesting. The card play is interesting. And I just can't get enough of it. Every game is different. And 50 games in, I'm still discovering new things about it. So that's my favorite game, Glory to Rome. I would love to put my input on Glory to Rome. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't own Glory to Rome, and I don't know anyone who does. And you never will. And I think that's going to stay that way for a while. I know. It is so unfortunate, the drama surrounding the publication of the game. But it is so, so good. It's really too bad. I It would be nice to see that game kind of make a comeback in the sense of, like, physically coming back. <laughs> I've played a couple times, and I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite game just because it it has a lot of moving parts and there's fun things you can do and lots of rule-breaking things, but it would probably grow on me if I was able to play it more. I think that's kind of the, the tricky thing about Glory to Rome is there is a big skill gap. So if you play against people who have never played before, you're probably going to win just because they... 
the first few times you're playing, you're just trying to do the right things where when you call the role, you move the cards to the right places. Um, but there's a lot of stre- there's a lot of strategic depth that you can miss if you if you haven't played it a lot. Yeah. I think in general that's how games should be. I kind of feel bad when someone who just played for the first time comes and beats me on a game that I've been playing for a while. Uh, I don't know why we have this expectation for board games to be let everyone have a chance to win. You know, if I go and play basketball against someone who's never dribbled a basketball, I should expect to win. And we don't say basketball is a bad game because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really fault uh, any game for for doing that. It can put people off. I don't I disagree on that point, but that shouldn't be a fault. And I'm looking at your last two picks here, Glory to Rome and Dominion, and I see something they seem to stand out from the rest of your choices so far in that they have these kind of rule breaks, you know, these cards that introduce their own special abilities or their own powers, things that set them apart from the general structure of the game. Whereas all your other games seem to have this very defined, clean system and set of rules. Do you kind of see that distinction as well? I do. And I think there's, there's something to that. I think the first games that I really played growing up, I mean, my family always played trick-taking games and things of that nature, but the kind of games that I chose for myself when I was able to were CCGs. I didn't play Magic, but I played the uh, Star Wars customizable card game. And, I mean, that's a game with lots of different cards, with lots of different powers, and they, you know, every every card has something different that can that it can do. And so I think... I, I think you're right. I, I think that is something that I enjoy, even if it's not re- represented in the other games on my list. Yeah, and that's something that I really like too. When I can put two cards together that I'm sure the designer and all the playtesters have found this particular combination before, but when I put it together, it feels like I've just invented something clever that you know only I know, and I, I have this little secret. It makes me feel smart. And mm-hmm. pulling off combos, putting together you know, all these cards and, and flipping the game into my favor. I always really enjoy those type of things. And it's kind of a shame that I won't be able to enjoy it in glory to Rome. But because of your enthusiasm, I have started to check out Charles Cuddick, Chuddick's, what's his name? Charles Chuddick, <laughs> <laughs> Carl Chuddick's other games. And I'm actually just looking at a box of innovation that, that arrived today. So I'm really looking forward to diving into those. You are in for a treat with innovation. Innovation is great. I'm looking forward to it. So that is my top seven games of all time. You guys were gentler than I was expecting. I mean, you were wrong on six of them, but it's fine. <laughs> you did better than what I was expecting, so. <laughs> Thank you. What did you think? Many, <laughs> hey, for our listeners, how many times have you played your top three games? So total, I have played my top three games 230 times. What's the division of that per game? Uh, I played Glory to Rome 52 times. I've played Dominion 150 times face-to-face. I I don't count online plays or app plays. If I counted those, the number would be far more embarrassing. (laughs) And (laughs) Ra, I've played 28 times. That's impressive. The Dominion number is also low because I started recording plays on Board Game Geek after 
I was like really infatuated with Dominion and played it every opportunity several times a day. So <laughs> I played that one significantly the most. But Cool. Good job. There you have it. That is my top seven games of all time. You've been listening to Breathing Flames, the I Slay the Dragon dot uh, com podcast with me to heckle my choices were Alex. Heckle heckle. <laughs> and Wolfie. Sorry, I fell asleep. Uh, your games just bored me so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was a that was a joke. I was joking. I was heckling. <laughs> thank you so much for listening you can if you like what you heard you can like us on facebook you can follow us on twitter you can join us on google plus if you're still there if we're still there if google plus is still there you can join our patreon if that's running and we just love to hear from you if you if you want to contact us on via email if you want to talk to us on twitter or in our board game geek guild we'd love to hear from you thank you so much for listening and keep slaying dragons. That was the most confident you've ever said that last line. I, I think uh, delineating my top seven games made me more confident That's, since I had to defend them against you guys, that, against you creatures. To build up your, your confidence beforehand. That's right. I had to steal myself. How do you record your plays? Um, I used to do it primarily through Board Game Geek. So on the website, you can record the plays. If you just search for the game, you can record it pretty easily there. I have an, an Android app for my tablet, and that's pretty that's easier if I have my tablet with me. But okay. I don't always. So um, a lot of times, I'll record okay. it on the website. Yeah, I do it. I'm not very um, fastidious on doing it, but I do it generally through my phone. And I was thinking, wait a minute. This guy doesn't have a smartphone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. No, I don't. I don't even... Again, I don't even have Facebook. Yeah. Living in the past. Well, you're probably ahead of the curve on that one, so don't feel too bad. (laughs) It's true. 